Would you be comfortable having someone watch you paint? What about create? How about finding a perspective despite an eye condition? Well, these questions left me wondering and I'm sure have also piqued your interest. Here it's straight from our guest artist Susan Logorecci to talk about her journey in public art, how to get started creating a scene surrounded by people, ways to overcome criticisms and negative feedback, finding creative strategies when the odds are not working in your favor, and how to grow as an artist. If you want to be part of the conversation, then send in your questions and topics you want us to cover to hello at etcherlab.com. Hey, this is Jesse from Etcher. We believe in your power to create, so we invited artists from all around the globe to inspire you to keep on creating. Join us in this journey and let's celebrate creativity. This is Make More Art, the podcast. Suzanne, thank you so much for joining Make More Art. I'm pretty excited about this episode and just reading through your bio, I, I, we're talking offline and I said that I'm, I'm learning a lot. So I'm really excited to learn more um, through your story as an artist, how you progressed and how did you get to where you are now? I'm very interested with all the projects, especially the latest one at the Phoenix Airport. But before we dive into all of that details, can you share a little bit more about your journey? Um, I know you've been doing this for a while. You have works. Probably if I go to a certain airport or a hotel, I'll probably see one of your works. But for the benefit of our audience listening and seeing you for the first time, hearing you for the first time, can you share a little bit more about your journey? Sure. Yeah, it's uh, it's been a long journey, <laughs> as you said. So. <laughs> um, yeah, and it's like, how do you start from being a little kid, you know, making um, drawings at home to, you know, building a 10,000 square foot floor in an airport. <laughs> it's like right. it's many steps. Um, yeah, I guess I was one of those kids who always, you know, made stuff. I always drew, I always like had a set of markers and, um, I liked reading and writing. I came from a creative family. Uh, my brother's a filmmaker. My sister plays violin. And so my parents definitely like supported our creative endeavors, I think. Mm -hmm. although they were artists. Um, after high school, I went to junior college for a few years and I started studying art seriously there when I was about 17. And I took all kinds of classes. I took, you know, ceramics, printmaking, drawing, painting, uh, just did all that foundation level coursework, which was really fun and exciting. And it helped me kind of hone in on the type of artist I wanted to be and the kind of materials I liked using. But I started out with a very broad approach. Mm -hmm. Um, then I transferred to art school in San Francisco uh, after a few years and finished up my bachelor's of fine arts degree there in drawing and painting and sort of was just doing more oil paintings and a lot of color pencil drawings, mixed media drawings, probably always kind of in this landscape um, based type of work. Um, I always made that kind of work since the beginning, actually. Uh -huh. Okay. And um, then I took a few years off and I, I actually met uh, my husband in undergrad at art school and we moved to Austin, Texas for a while and just lived there and worked a bunch of jobs and made art. Uh, I was just making oil paintings then. And uh, then we came back to California and I did my master's of fine arts degree at Cal State Long Beach. Um, that was almost 20 years ago, actually. <laughs> which is, that went by fast. Um, <laughs> And I worked at the Getty Museum when I was in school as well. Wow. Uh, so that was really part of my education too, I think. Uh, and uh, after I graduated, I started showing in galleries in Los Angeles. Mm -hmm. And 
uh, I sold out a couple shows, which was really exciting. And I started getting commissioned work. And that's when I quit my day job, which was like in about 2005. And I've been doing this full time as, um, as a profession ever since then. And um, I did a lot of kind of original, at that point I was, I kind of stopped doing oil painting in graduate, uh, graduate school. And I was just doing these color pencil drawings like the one you see behind me. And um, so I started doing a lot of commissioned work and my work started ending up in um, lobbies of uh, like law firms and banks and conference rooms. And that's kind of what got me interested in public art was like my mm -hmm. work sort of led me there that it was already ending up in these public spaces. So it was a natural fit, I think. Um, and then I started doing temporary public art projects, which um, gave me um, you know, the experience on how to manage a budget and how to work with a fabricator. Mm -hmm. And uh, then from there, I started applying for temporary, for permanent projects and just started doing those in about 2012, 13. Mm -hmm. So um, yeah, it's been about 10 years when I, since I've been doing public art, since I added that in. So yeah, that's sort of the general kind of condensed version of my path. <laughs> it's pretty condensed but at the same time it's like wow you you've tried out you've tried your hands on a lot of things and I'm, I, I also love the transition that you made from one like you were doing you said oil and what also what's also interesting about your journey Suzanne is that you studied art um for, for anyone who's listening right now um and you know this is a, a common I guess misconception for for a lot of people is that Kids nowadays, they are exposed to it, but they are not, say, encouraged to pursue art. But in your case, you are um, fortunate to, to be surrounded by your family who are very creative and supportive, rather, in your creative endeavors. But would yeah. you say if, if someone is starting out at a pretty young age to really attend classes or um, subscribe or to, to trainings related to art? Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, the world's changed a lot since yes. I started in 1990. <laughs> there was no internet. So there was no option of doing, you know, there's so many online classes now and workshops and mm -hmm. that wasn't available, you know, um, at all. So you can really be anywhere in the world and study with someone, you know, across across the planet, which is so exciting. Um, so, I mean, I definitely think, you know, that's probably really worthwhile. You know, in person's great, of course. You know, I mean, during the pandemic, you know, my husband's a teacher and he was teaching art classes virtually for a couple of years there. And it's like he was saying, you know, you get about 70 to 80 percent, he felt, of the in-person instruction, which is like pretty good, actually. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, but it's not actually like being there and really kind of engaging with your students and their artwork, too. And, you know, people holding that for the camera, it's a little different. But still, if that's what you've got, if you know you live somewhere uh, that's very remote, I think mm -hmm. that can be really amazing and helpful. Mm -hmm. uh, I really, you know, I was never an A student. I, um, I uh, was not the best in the class <laughs> at all. Um, but that wasn't the point. I think just learning like observational drawing teaches you so many valuable skills, just how to really look mm -hmm. and how to sit down and really um, you know, just really see the world differently. And that's the most important thing rather than having successful, you know, successful sort of 
portfolio at the end. I mean, you'll probably end up with that anyway if you put the time mm-hmm. in. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think it's incredibly valuable to study with someone who knows more. Uh, you know, you can only do so much on your own, I think. Agree, agree. That's that is a good point. And I normally ask that question because most of the people that I've had on are teachers. And like what I said earlier, just reading from your bio, um, I learned a lot. But hearing you talk about how important or you know to tap into getting a mentor or a coach to teach art is um something that would really help someone who's starting out in, in their creative pursuit. Now you mentioned that you try your hands on a lot of things. Um when I was listening, you talk about your journey and Particularly, you fell in love with landscapes. When you were starting out, was there any other particular subject that you dabbled with, or has it always been a landscape? Because with your public art, it is still somehow related to landscape, and like um, the, the the painting behind you is is also a landscape and uh, from a, from a perspective. So, subjects when you were starting out has it always been landscape and why landscape by the way Suzanne yeah that's a great question Uh, I mean I guess on a personal level um, I would say I really you know I grew up actually on the central coast and uh, of California and there's a long history there of landscape art uh, being really sort of important to that area and I think it was like the first art that I really saw and connected to was landscape art um when I was in school, I did try a lot of different things. I mean, obviously, you have to draw still lives, and um, uh, the figure was was big as well. I did took a lot of figure drawing. Never really put, like connected to that as deeply. I I love doing abstraction as well, and there's a, a really big abstract component to my artwork. I yes. think as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but in terms of doing just abstraction. Yeah, I know people really can connect to that as like its own language and they they really feel that. And it's always been a little harder for me to divorce it from imagery totally. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I've never felt it's as meaningful as it is when it's connected to imagery in a place. Um, for me personally, and when I go and look at art, I can feel it in other people's work. But just in my own, it's a little bit harder for me to get there. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and, you know, it's just a lot of trial and error, you know, I mean, I've, I've, sp- I've spent years, I mean, gosh, I, if I'd kept everything I've ever made, it would fill this room. <laughs> okay. Okay. So there okay. was a lot of experimentation, mm-hmm. you know, um, but I always came back to landscape. And I had a, one of my mentors, actually, um, uh, my teacher, Robin Smith, at mm-hmm. Montreal College, when I was first starting out, said to me, I had these motifs that I would use a lot. And she's like, you know, you need to put those aside for a while. And if they come back, then they were really meant to be. And I always felt like that was great advice and stuck with me in a lot of different ways because we can get kind of stuck in like, if you can find, if you find a motif that's like particularly dramatic, you know, you can maybe accidentally exhaust it. (laughs) (laughs) That's true. (laughs) Okay. Well, thank you. Thank you for sharing that. Suzanne. Cause I, I was, when I was listening to us, Okay, she was particularly interested in landscape. But what led her to be interested and to pursue landscape? Now, let's switch to um, public art. For, mm. for a lot of artists, I know you have showcased your works. You said um, some of the galleries and you've sold and you've done commissions. But this is also a common, especially for artists, right? That um, some people are so scared to get um, their works displayed and seen by mm-hmm. other people. Or, for someone working 
like and someone watching you and for your for public art i'm sure you've had a lot of experience with people like okay what is it doing i mean you know what is she doing um and watching the progress yeah. how, how do you get to that point level of yeah. confidence and comfortability to be able to do public art and have people yeah of course it's public watch you create yeah, and not only watching, but they, I mean, it's participatory, you know, I mean, you, you definitely are working with a community right. and, you know, you want to have their input too. And it's not always um, nice or what you want to hear. <laughs> so, I mean, you have to really have a thick skin and that takes time to develop, you know, mm -hmm. I don't think it gets easier necessarily. I just think you get more used to it and you know that it's part of the process even, and if it doesn't go your way, you know, it's, it's, if people disagree, well, the process for public art, just let me get into that a little bit, is um, so you have initial idea, you have a proposal, the proposal is accepted by uh, a committee of experts um, mm -hmm. and their municipal leaders, artists, et cetera, a community member, maybe or two. Um, and then when you actually develop the artwork, um, you meet with them several times and you hear their notes. And so um, how I like to think of it in the very beginning, it was hard to hear criticism, especially if you're really connected to what you're making and it's not landing, mm -hmm. you know, but it's different with public art than studio art, you know, studio art, you're totally in control. You don't have to adhere to anybody else's perspective, <laughs> um, but public art's all about that exchange. And so, and I actually love that because mm -hmm. it is, you know, really where the creativity comes in. How can I take their notes and merge it with my vision. And that is a great creative assignment, actually. It's not one all artists like, because mm. a lot of artists like to be in total control yes. um, and not have to hear you know, what other people would prefer to see in their opinions. Mm. Um, but I feel like you know they hire me as an expert, so um, I should take everything in. And it's my job to kind of you know, suss through everything and figure out what needs to stay and what doesn't pertain. And so um, if you can kind of be a little more objective um, and see it that way, it's helpful. Mm -hmm. um, but there's definitely like things people have said over the years that, I, you know, they get stuck in there. <laughs> How follow up question to that, Suzanne, because criticism is something that, you know, what prevents people from showcasing their work, especially for, for a lot of artists who have, a, you know, a huge potential to... Um, for their art to be seen and admired by by people or to be put up in a gallery yeah you, you did mention that you know some of the the feedback and criticism you know get stuck in there but you've been doing this for a while so how how do you what is your let would say piece of advice to someone who might be struggling in that aspect let's say receiving feedback and criticism and sometimes we could be our worst critic ourselves yeah. so what would you say as a seasoned artist like yourself would be a good advice um, to overcome that or to process, I guess, um, criticisms and feedback or even your own. Yeah, it's such a hard thing because, I mean, it's not, you know, it's such a personal thing that you're making and then you put it out in the world and you just feel like your heart gets stomped on. You know, it's like when people have, say, when they have children, that it's like your heart walking around the world. It's like, okay, it's not probably that intense. I'm sure having children is more, but there is something to that, I think, with this too, you know. Um, I guess I would say, you know, if you really want to do this seriously, you're going to have to accept that as part of the process. Mm -hmm. And that 
Um, you know, I like to think of art and art making as as something bigger than myself and that I have a responsibility to it that's greater than feeling good when someone compliments me. And so, yeah, you can take in, I think taking in the initial shock of maybe some cruel words, but then really looking at it and then, you know, okay, that maybe wasn't delivered nicely, but where's the truth? And it, it, did it actually sting because there's truth to it? And that's something I actually need to maybe investigate, you know, and just being able to see your responsibility to the thing you're making as a higher responsibility than feeling good, you know, um, it's not easy, but I mean, I think that's one of the great things about making art is that it does take you to places inside yourself that, um, you wouldn't maybe necessarily go or are comfortable, you know, and that's, you know, hopefully why people want to make art too, not because it's fun and relaxing, but it's also like, it can test you and mm -hmm. that's a good thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely right. And thank you for, for that insight, Suzanne. Um, I think it's it's a, a piece of advice that a lot of people need to hear, whether you're making art or doing something that you would, you know, um, any form of art that you are having reservations when it comes to sharing it with the world because you're too scared to receive feedback or to be criticized. So it's a personal thing, like what you said. And uh, I think it, it takes time, but... Uh, for sure yeah yeah absolutely and maybe you know you should keep it under wraps until you're comfortable <laughs> with putting it out there you know maybe it's like you aren't at a you don't have to share everything you make I still don't I mean mm -hmm. you know I, I definitely make things that never see the light of day still you know <laughs> so uh you know there's that too that maybe it isn't ready and it's not time yet yeah. and that's okay you know Absolutely. I mean, in not everything, and I I read this somewhere that you know, for a lot of artists, whether it's it's a you know self fulfillment to be able to create something and then showcases or just create something, it doesn't have to be always monetized. Um, but it's right. yeah, it's it's ability to create and what fills you with joy, I guess, is is another thing that you also need to consider if you're having fun doing it, if it fills you up and go ahead and do it now in line with that i also want to talk tapped on because you do a lot of um public arts you do a lot of perspective i mean looking at the the painting behind you um so just like from a yeah from a certain angle and this is sort of what's consistent with your work as well Susan. when i was looking at some of your works posted online um I, I've read in your bio that for someone who is now very much into perspective, right, and like 3D version, that you had a condition um, growing up, something to do, and correct me if I'm not pronouncing this uh, correctly, it tr tr is it strabismus? Yeah, correct. Strabismus, okay, got it right. Yeah. right. Um, so you were with an eye condition, strabismus, so, um, which impacts, for those who are listening, and you could probably Google this as well, um, it impacts your depth and depth perception and 3D vision. But how right. does that influence? Because we talked about, we touched on landscapes, but this yeah. condition, how would you say this influenced your art? Um, given that, you know, when I think about perception and 3D, which is something that is very visible in, in your works, um, whether it's public art or, um, mixed media. So can you share a little bit more about that, Suzanne? 
Yeah, it's definitely really influenced my work. I think it's also influenced just the fact that I did landscape as well. It's all, yeah. you know, having this condition, it's a little bit trickier just moving through the world. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't, most people, uh, their eyes work together. Their two eyes come to a point and you see a merged vision and that's mm-hmm. 3D. So with my eyes, I don't have, but not, that's called binocular vision. And I, I don't have that. I have mon- monocular vision where each eye is um, just sees individually and I can kind of move back and forth. Uh-huh. Uh, and so uh, the world is flattened for me somewhat. I still have a little bit, you know, I, from what I understand, like the way the brain kind of um, accepts that they it can still see 3D somewhat, but not fully like everybody else. Yes. And so, you know, driving's harder, sports, you know, things like that. Uh, even something like walking downstairs can be really challenging. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I had four surgeries when I was a child and I just had my fifth about two months ago, actually. Wow. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so um, I'm still kind of healing from that as well. But um, uh, yeah, I think it's it's definitely influenced my work. When I first started um, uh, as an art student, I didn't really realize that I couldn't see like everybody else. And so like I'd hang my still life drawing up on the wall next to everyone else's and it just looked kind of cubist (laughs) actually okay Um, okay. and the teacher would say things like you know I can't tell where the space is and where the object is Mm -hmm. and I remember feeling like well that's kind of my life though you know I I don't always know either and that's why you know it's like it takes me 30 seconds to get on and off an escalator you know um but thinking, you know, and just feeling kind of bad about that for a while, because it was like, I can't, I'm never going to be able to do it right. That mm-hmm. whole idea of doing it right, you yeah. know? Yeah. And, um, but then thinking, you know, there's a lot I'm never going to be able to do in life, you know, definitely with this condition, but there are some things that I can do that no one else can do and no one else can see like I can, and that can be a strategy for me that maybe I can use. And so just tapping into that pretty early on. And thinking about um, ways to, you know, ways to express that, not just to express the way that I see, um, to explain that to people, but to kind of use that as a strategy to talk about other issues. Um, And like in this piece behind me, I would say, you know, this kind of flattens, you know, the the imagery is sort of 3D, even though it's like from multiple perspectives. But then the white streets sort of flatten everything out and this kind of push-pull kind of tension in the piece and that's something I like to play with a lot to really talk about kind of yeah these kind of delights and anxieties that we experience in built spaces and so just taking um, the way that I see and and trying to always try to reimagine it um, as a strategy to to talk about issues that we all can relate to that's really what interests me I would say and, and and thank you, thank you for sharing that piece, um, Suzanne. Because when I was reading through through it, and I was surprised that, you know, that with that condition, you um, you pivoted and you, like what you said, created a strategy um, that, um, what well, I would say, shifted your art and make it you know unique, because it it's when I look at your work, it's, it's perspective. It, it, it provided you with a unique perspective that not everybody um, can see. And, and, and so like what you said, it's, it looks 3D, right? When I look at it, looking at the, the painting behind you, it's 3D, but yeah, the white lines sort of flatten it out. So 
Um, one of the things that, that you also mentioned um, when I was reading through your bio is that you have your art. It creates these possibilities. Um, when people look at it, it's it's not just one thing, like one perspective. And you mentioned this earlier that you know it's as if you're looking at it from different angles. And I know one yeah. of the inspiration as well for for your artwork is your when you're of the, all the flights that you have taken and I was I was looking at it like well that's really brilliant because normally people would like take photos right I am very fond of doing that when I'm yeah up there feet, right but you shifted and make art out of it and it's really refreshing to be able to see that because normally those like tiny spaces right it can create this sort of it's crowded but when I look at your art it it granted me a certain feeling that oh, okay, this is new. And it doesn't feel like crowded at all. But it's, hmm. it's it's beautiful to see and it provided me with all of these possibilities. So can you share a little bit more, more about that um, perspective and idea when you start creating um, these art pieces, this artwork, Suzanne? Sure, yeah, I actually, um, so yeah, for a while I did charter helicopters and I would take pictures yeah. from them, use that as source material. Mm -hmm. That's super fun. Uh, actually, though, I really do have a fear of heights, to be honest. Really? <laughs> well, yeah. okay. For someone who has like the, this, this miscondition and fear of, did you say flights or heights? Heights. Heights. Yeah, I fly too, but heights particularly, because because I do get this vertigo sometimes. It's actually okay. Okay. getting better after my last surgery, but okay. um, I do actually have vertigo because I'm not really sure spatially what's going on. And so mm -hmm. being up in a helicopter and uh, when you're taking pictures, you don't want the doors on. So it's totally open. Okay. Um, it's pretty wow. terrifying. Uh, <laughs> Talk about challenging yourself and pushing yourself yeah. to that limit. Okay. And I would usually fly with a couple of friends and they would take all the pictures and I would sort of direct them where to shoot. And so, I mean, the good thing about it is I'm there to do a job. And so I'm distracted by that, which is great. Um, so I'm not thinking too much about how all the ways I could die, but. <laughs> but okay. Um, but also just the experience of being up there. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know if you've ever flown in a helicopter um, I'm not sure if I can, but yeah. <laughs> it's, I mean, and flying in an airplane is like that too, although it's a little bit more, you know, the, um, yeah, the windows are so little. It's like you do get, a, it's like seeing a panorama out of a pinhole a little, yeah. you know, it's a little bit hard to get that big, the idea of big space there. Uh, but in the helicopter, you really, you get to hover, you know, over an area too. And uh, it's so magical. And you really do see this like, amazing panorama that's really um, kind of stitched together, you know, too, that it's not, you know, one sort of nice, clean gestalt image is like many neighborhoods that are kind of cobbled together over a period of time. You really sort of understand that, mm -hmm. how um, cities are put together. So um, really experiencing that was important for me. I haven't done it in a while. The last couple of um, projects I've worked on, it's not been possible and actually got um yeah the, sometimes they don't want you to do it because of insurance and safety reasons yeah <laughs> so <laughs> they have a <laughs> okay <laughs> so, but, um, uh, yeah go ahead yeah so um that's definitely been a really uh important part of my creative path I would say to um to get out of my comfort zone and get up there and actually take my own images as well and use them um because a lot of times I'll buy them from other people I get them offline or online, you know, there's a lot of places where you can get aerial views of cities. Um, 
but that's been a very important part of my process, I think. I I love how well I was listening you talk about, you know, having this condition as a kid, um, trying out new things growing up and in your art journey, right? And then now pushing yourself to a challenge that enables you to find inspiration and to create a different form of art with unique perspective. What I've gotten from there, um, Suzanne, is that you have this ability to challenge more than challenging yourself, but um, you would want to see growth in your process, in your art. And, and in order to do that, you have to step out of your comfort zone and really, yeah. And um, I think that's when, it, when I mean, hearing your story now and looking at your art pieces, specifically this one um, behind you, it tells more than just it's a unique perspective, but the story behind it. So how, I mean, for anyone who might be listening, um, Suzanne, if if they are facing those kind of challenges, you know, we might not know exactly what those are, but with your journey, uh, when you started up until where you are right now, um, what would you say would be your biggest piece of advice for anyone who might be in that space, um, struggling and um, maybe thinking that the challenges that they have or the condition that they have might be a hindrance or a roadblock mm -hmm. to, to do art? Or yeah, I I would, yeah, start doing some research then on, on people who have had, because there's definitely a lot of people out there um, mm -hmm. that have had um, visual issues or um, you know, mental health issues that have been really successful artists. I think of like the artist Daniel Johnston or mm -hmm. comes to mind, um, you know, definitely, you know, you have to find your own voice, you know, that it's like, I think that's the most important thing. And you're only going to find that by, by having a consistent, you know, a lot of people who've been on your show talk about that. Having a consistent practice is a huge part of that. Um, uh, you know, and trusting that you have something to offer as well, you know um, you know, the goal maybe isn't to ever be to make a living from it or something like that, but you know, you're adding to the conversation of art that's as long as human history. And that's important, you know? Um, so find your place in it. And definitely looking to art history, um, looking to contemporary art, learning more about that, I think is really vital to that path. Yeah. I want to touch on what you said here on your bio about um, the ability of your, your um, the organic handmade quality provides viewers with a new perspective on their city and the chance to see it as an output of our human nature, a large ongoing project built by many and shared by all. I was like, when I was reading through through that, um, I don't know, for some weird reason, it spoke to me because, you know, there are a lot of things that, that was built by many, but not shared by all, right? When when we look at uh, spaces or buildings and people can be, um, you know, it's it can be very overwhelming to be stuck in a, in a certain space or in, in a building, but with with your art and just just looking and reading through this, it's it's both to me in a sense that, okay, art can do this. And with with Susan's art, she has the ability to share that perspective with others that, you know, those spaces that you see it's common and being stuck in a city. Uh, but with your art from that perspective, it can give you that sense that it it is built by many, but it is shared by all. And when you look at that, for others, it can be overwhelming, but yours can provide some sort of respite um, in a way because it it's beautiful and it communicates a certain feeling. So 
when can you expand a little bit more on that um i know it, it has something to do with your process and you said that it's a dialogue right when you create and you would want to be able to share that um like what you said your art deals with themes of uncertainty and optimism within our cities but can you expand a little bit more on that aspect suzanne yeah, it's it's interesting hearing that back to me. It's such an optimistic statement, actually. Um, mm -hmm. And I do think my work is ultimately optimistic, although I do like to be critical as well. I do like to think that there's criticality in my work, but mm -hmm. ultimately I think it is optimistic. Yeah, shared by all is such an interesting statement in 2022, actually, you know, when our cities, a lot of them are getting really expensive and pushing people out. And, you know, mm -hmm. in, in Los Angeles, like the homeless um, situation here is really intense. Mm -hmm. Um, and a lot of it is due, I mean, there's many factors. Um, so, um, yeah, this idea of shared by all, it's like, how true is that actually? Um, but I think what I really, um, you know, I think art captures a moment, but also, I mean, what I want mine to do is really to inspire people to, kind of make more equitable cities that are that are really shared by all you know I have a I follow like on social media a lot of um um urban planners and wow. architects and people like that and so I read a lot about what's going on in cities across the world um and what you know what's being developed and how and what are the ideas you know behind it um in terms of just like you know um, cultural, environmental, you know, uh, mental health, even is like being built into cities now. Um, and all that stuff really interests me a lot and data capture. Um, mm. So, um, you know, that all kind of goes into what I'm making as well. When I do public art, you know, especially in airports, you know, it's a little bit, um, you know, it's a fraught place. It's a place that can be very anxiety provoking. And also it's very, uh, can be boring. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. Uh, so, you know, working, um, so you do have to be a little careful in terms of like, you know, you don't want to be like super critical of a place too. You want to give people a delightful experience. It kind of pops them out of their, out of their routine and like maybe, you know, their um, spiral of, you know, doom or boredom, wherever their brains are going. Yeah. Um, so there is that too, where it's like, you do want to kind of turn up the volume on, on, on happiness and delight a little bit and maybe down on criticality. Probably the work that would go into a gallery would be the opposite where you turn it up a little bit in terms of criticality and down, mm -hmm. um, but or equal on, on the delight factor as well. It's like, I definitely think about, you know, who's your audience? you know, too, that matters a lot, um, uh, depending on the artwork that I'm making. And so, um, and a lot of artists, again, don't like to think about that. I really do like to think about that, um, have an ideal viewer in my mind and make work for them in mind. Um, that, that is a really good point about um, knowing and identifying who your audience is for your work, um, because that, that would be, I guess, your starting point. As to how would what it is that you would want to communicate through your art. Um, yes, yeah. One of the best pieces of advice I actually have ever gotten. Um, uh, artist Linda Bessemer came to a uh, graduate seminar, and she said uh, to all of us there who are about to get our degrees, she said, um, "It's up to you all to find your audience, and it may not be the audience that you want, and it may not be as big an audience as you want, but you need to go and find them, and that's your job." And I love that because, that, again, that's that thing of like you're responsible to this thing that's greater than you, you know, yeah. um, and I think about that a lot, actually. And it's 
it can be seen and it's it's evident in in your work and hearing you talk about you know that you follow urban you know planners um i was like ah, okay so you know this is this is what's great about art when you look at a piece right it it speaks volumes and when you hear the story behind it there's really more and layers and layers of you know coming from yeah. the artists themselves and um I have to ask this, Suzanne, with, with, with your experience and years of doing it, 10 years of doing public art, I'm sure you have certain favorites. We talked about um, earlier that your works can be seen in lobbies and banks, and now the most recent project at the airport. Look at this, I can be boring, but I, you know what? I love looking at like art pieces, like installations and public art, especially in spaces and places where people would normally perceive them as it's it's a boring space but I'm sure and I would love to see Phoenix Airport um someday or one of these days to see your actual but what would you say is your favorite or most favorite art either public art or artwork or art piece that you have made oh, that I've made very uh, yeah I would say, well, probably the the two that are that are, I feel like are the most um were the most exciting for me to make and i think that where the material and um, the imagery worked really well together is the piece i just completed um the floor um, and the 28 wall pieces in the phoenix airport um and just to describe it really quickly for listeners um it's a long narrow corridor um, that goes it's called a connector bridge that goes from security to the gates in the southwest terminal um and it's 10,000 square foot floor so as you walk through the floor um, you go from uh, images of Phoenix, uh, night city images, um, to daytime houses, to the fields around Phoenix, and then finally to the mountains. And so as the viewer walking through the piece sort of experiences all these different landscapes. And the concept is this idea of a glass bottom plane. And additionally, there's 28 airplane window-shaped wall pieces that have similar um, views that um, you also see as you're walking down this corridor. And it's all made up out of terrazzo, which is um, um, sort of different types of rocks. It's like granite and quartz and things like that mm -hmm. mixed with an epoxy. Um, and that has different colors in it to, to make up the landscape, but also has things like broken mirror and mm -hmm. mother of pearl and like little shiny kind of bits in it as well. Wow. Okay. And I think, you know, just like with my work, you know, my work has all these little bits coming together. Uh -huh. And then also um, the terrazzo has all these little bits coming together. Um, and then in addition, it's actually literally made from the desert floor and you're looking down on the desert floor. So there's just a great synchronicity between materials and mm -hmm. the concept and the formal imagery like that. I just think that was really successful. Um Another project that I feel like did that uh, here in Los Angeles in a train station, um, I created eight uh, uh, large drawings that were fabricated into mosaic tile and similar type of thing where it's like all these little, and it was actually hand cut by a company wow. in Montreal called Mosaica and they did an incredible job. And once again, like all these little bits coming together, just like uh, my artwork, I think um, it just translated so beautifully. Uh, those are probably my two favorites, I would say. I would love to work in those materials again. Just really fun materials to work with that I didn't know much about before yeah. um, in those projects, too. So I got a real education, too. Okay. Again, I mean, just hearing it. And thank you for highlighting those, two. I guess for, for our listeners, and probably if you want to check out the video from YouTube, we're going to 
post a photo, I guess, or maybe um, from, from Suzanne of these projects. So you can also see them. And if you are uh, passing by Phoenix Airport, do check that out. Uh, I'm sure you will enjoy hearing you talk about of the story behind that project. It makes more interesting, um, especially the materials that you use and the different textures and, and the thought process behind that project. This makes it more interesting. And personally, for someone like myself who is very much into public art and you know um, art installations, I personally would love to see that. Um, yeah, I should ask you really quickly. Um, you know, just in terms of like how these things get made. You know, I, since I don't know much about these materials, I there were so many people that made this happen too. The fabricators. Um, you have a project manager who works for the city that's sort of the go between between myself and the fabricator, mm -hmm. the architectural team. I mean, it was like these Zoom meetings where it'd be like pages of people. You know, you're filing through. <laughs> I mean, it's like, it definitely isn't just me. It's like a whole team of people that um, help support my vision too. And I'm definitely so grateful to have all those experts on board. I could never have accomplished what I've accomplished by myself. So just wanted to say that. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for also highlighting that, Suzanne. Um, that is a huge project that you did. And definitely there were a lot of people involved. Um, one other thing that I picked up from that is you said that you didn't have a lot of information, knowledge about those materials. So it's it's sort of imposing a lot of challenge to yourself and learning. So yeah. it's really pushing yourself to get out of your comfort zone and learn something new and grow as an artist. Um, Absolutely. I'm learning. I'm learning a lot from our conversation. But I'm also interested because I asked you about your favorite projects. But what's up ahead for Suzanne? Um, oh, okay. your projects that you have in the pipeline. Uh, let's see, I have um, a mural and four new original paintings hanging up at LAX in the Southwest mm -hmm. Terminal and Baggage Claim, if anybody's making their way through there. They'll be there till January. Um, I'm also going to be creating a mural in my neighborhood um, for a company that um, designs uh, climate change websites for NASA. And um, they also, this couple that runs it are also um, interested in permaculture. And so I don't know if y'all know what that is, but it's um, basically this, share a little bit yeah, more about that. What I, I mean, I know nothing, but just from what I've sort of learned of the little bit of research I've done so far, is just this idea of, um, you know, using uh, what's already there in terms of like gardening and farming uh, and things like that and having these sort of systems in place that feed themselves. And so there's very little um, human footprint on the land, but but it's like sustainable farming and things like that. Um, so I'm really interested to like mine their data bases and like and like learn their lingo and sort of create an artwork for the exterior of their offices. Um, that's sort of my project probably for the fall. Um, and then I'm making new work too. Mm -hmm. Thinking of body work. I think I'm going to go back to oil painting actually. So I'm pretty excited looking for that. that. Yeah. Um, and, and to that upcoming projects, Val. Um, you're such a very talented artist, Suzanne. And just, you know, with the time that I spent with you, I learned a lot and more than just the technicalities and this whole world of public art. But you as a person, as an artist, um, it's a privilege to have you on Make More Art. And uh, we look forward to seeing more of your works. I, if ever that I, my friends are actually in LA right now. So I would okay. definitely tell them uh, to do check out. Um, so that's that's up until January, right? Um, yeah. Okay. But we'll definitely, if you want to learn more about um, Suzanne, we'll, we'll also drop in her um, 
website um, and the description box so that Susan, correct me if I'm not pronouncing your last name correctly. Is it Logaretti or? Pretty close actually, Logaretti. Oh, okay. All right, Logaretti.com. So I will definitely include that um, as well as Instagram because I know we, everyone's always looking um, for the handler right. um, and Instagram handler. So we'll definitely include all of these informations. And again, those art pieces and art installations that um, Suzanne mentioned as well, we will also include that in the video format. So do check out our YouTube uh, version of this podcast. Suzanne, it's been a pleasure having you on. Um, it's a delight really to be able to interview and an honor to be able to interview you. Uh, thanks to Bonnie. Um, but any sort of like final golden nugget um, for our audience? especially those who are like enthusiasts or probably hearing public art for the first time, um, mm -hmm. process behind it. I would say, um, you know, just a daily practice is so important. Even if you can just do 15, 20 minutes a day, we have a daily exercise practice, uh, spiritual practice, you know, cooking practice, add an art practice into that. You know, um, you can accomplish a lot in a year if you put 20 minutes in a day. So, um, and then in terms of public art, if people are interested in getting into that, you know, go to your local city council and see what art opportunities there are in, in Los Angeles. Um, uh, they paint those uh, electrical boxes that just sort of house like wires and things like that. And there's all, it's like a little art opportunity now that the city gives a small stipend to people that are getting started. So there's projects like that out there, you know, or you can create your own approach a business and offer to do a mural. Um, there's definitely opportunities out there, um, but you got to put yourself out there. Beautifully said. Suzanne, thank you again so much for being on Make More Art. And we look forward to seeing where Vera works. Do check out her website, her Instagram, and or drop by Phoenix Airport or LAX and make sure to check out her art. Thanks for being on the show, Suzanne. Yeah, thanks for having me. It was really an honor. It was great to talk with you. I appreciate it. Appreciate it. Take care of yourself. I'll speak to you again soon. Thank you. Right. Bye. Take care. Bye. Bye. Suzanne's innate talent, coupled with her desire to start a dialogue about space, is truly inspiring. Her eagerness to grow is reflected in her passion to learn different things and step out of her comfort zone. What have you done recently to help you grow in your creative pursuits? Do let us know by leaving your comments through the blog post associated with this podcast at etcherlab.com slash Suzanne.